Well, I'm going to read uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verses 1 to 6, which says these words. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And this is God's word. And the next uh, few sermons in Galatians 5, uh, think about the fight for freedom, the fight for freedom. And tonight, uh, we're going to think about the subject of comparing uh, the message. And you'll see what that means in a moment. Uh, when, when he was inaugurated as the governor of California in 1967, uh, Ronald Reagan said these words regarding freedom. He said, freedom is a fragile thing and is never more than one generation away from extinction. It is not ours by inheritance. It must be fought for and defended constantly by each generation. Now, he was speaking in the context of the Cold War and the danger felt by many in the West at the time that communism was coming to take over and destroy freedom. And Reagan, I believe, is right here in what he says. Freedom needs to be fought for. As a nation, we have had to fight for our freedom from oppression in World War II. But that generation is, is dying out. And perhaps we've begun to take for granted the freedoms that we have as a nation because none of us or most of us really haven't had to really fight for them. But at the moment, the people of Ukraine are fighting for their freedom from Russian oppression. In every generation, somewhere in the world, people have to fight for their freedom. And in a similar kind of a way or a similar kind of a thought, although not necessarily a physical uh, fight, the fight for freedom that we have in Christ needs to be fought for by every single generation of Christians, by every single Christian. For the freedom that we have in Christ comes under attack. So it must be, in the words of Reagan, defended constantly. And that's the thought behind Paul's exhortation in verse 1, to stand Firm. Notice that in verse 1. Stand firm. So in Galatians, we've been told how we're no longer slaves to sin. 
and to a religion of human achievement that cannot save us from God's judgment. We've been freed by faith in Jesus Christ, the one who has died in our place for our sins, and he's taken the curse that is ours upon himself. But false teachers have come into the churches in Galatia and have told the believers there that to be truly saved, to be truly right with God, you've got to go back to rules and regulations. Specifically, they said, to the Old Testament law. Even more specifically, to the rule of circumcision, which you'll see in the verses I read a number of times. And Paul's letter here is a plea to not turn back to those weak and miserable old ways of life, which he calls slavery, but to live in the freedom that we have as adopted children of God. And at the beginning of verse 1, we read this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We've been set free by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has died for our sins and he has given us life. He has set us free for freedom. But what does that mean? Well, there are two aspects of freedom. There is what we are freed from, what was enslaving us. And then there is what we are freed for, how we're supposed to live now. And the death and resurrection of Jesus has freed us from three things. First of all, condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to bear the guilt of our sin. We don't have to fear the judgment to come because Christ has taken our guilt and taken our judgment upon himself. As Paul said earlier in Galatians, he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. We are free from condemnation. Now, condemnation and and guilt and shame of our sin, uh, it it weighs heavy, doesn't it? It's like a a chain. I mean, we, we might know some of one another's sins, but all of us, I am sure, certainly it's true for me, have things that we are so ashamed of, things that we have thought and said and done, that we are just horrified that we've done it or thought it or said it, and we would be just mortified if people knew what we have said or done or thought. And that, those things can weigh heavy, can't they, upon us? And we, we can feel the guilt and the, the shame of those things. And, and, and it's like a debt that we, we can't repay. That's condemnation. But Jesus sets us free from condemnation. So we don't have to, to fear the judgment for those things. We don't have to feel the guilt of those things and the shame of those things because Jesus has died for those things. We are free from condemnation. And so even if other people did find out what we've done, when we've brought those things before God and trusted in Christ to forgive us, we are free from them, free from condemnation. Isn't that, isn't that good news? Free from condemnation. But secondly then, we are freed, as well as from condemnation, from 
the observation of the law for our salvation. We are free from having to earn our way back into God's favor by trying to do really good things to make up for all those bad things because Christ has done everything to save us. He's done it all. We're freed from having to to try and earn the favor of God, which we can never do because we'll never be good enough, because we're freed because Christ has done enough. So we don't have to spend all our days trying to... um, you know, work really hard and do lots of good things to please God, we'll see that we will want to please God, but that's a, a very different, different thing to try and earn his favor. We're free from having to earn it because Christ has done it for us. So we're free from condemnation, the observation of the law, and then thirdly, we're freed from the motivation and the, 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 the massive weight of having to try and please other people and perform all the time. Isn't that like a, a real slavery, isn't it? To, to have to try and, and have the approval of others all the time. But you don't need that. You're freed from it because you have the approval of God already because Christ has died and rose for us. So we're free from condemnation, from observation of the law and from motivation to try and constantly make other people happy with us. And then that gives us freedom for Christ. Our freedom is, is for Christ is not, is not just to, to do what we please, which actually is another form of slavery, which we've looked at before, but it's freedom for following Christ, to live for him. Now that may sound like a different form of slavery, but true freedom is not a life with no restrictions whatsoever. In fact, too much choice is not a good thing, is it? Our society at the moment is crushed under the weight of being told you can be whoever or whatever you want to be. The choice of that is so oppressive, it weighs people down. Now, I don't know if it's true for everybody, but I know lots of people struggle if they go to a restaurant and the menu is too big. Has any of you, any of you ever experienced that? Where you look at the menu and you think, ah, oh, Like, what if I pick the wrong thing? What if I have this and something else is better? What if I I, I see what the person I've gone with has and I wish I had that and then I've wasted my... Do you see the pressure of that? And we might think, well, that menu gives us freedom. You're better off going to a restaurant where they just put a plate of food in front of you and that's it, right? Freedom is not a life of, of no restrictions, but it's a life lived as we're made to live. I want you to imagine in your heads um, a whale, the, you know, the mammal that goes in the sea. Do you think for a whale, living in the water is a restriction for the whale? It is a restriction in a sense, isn't it? I mean, a whale can survive for a short time on the beach, but the beach is the way of death, isn't it, for the whale? The whale thrives in the water where the whale was made to be. That's what the whale was made for. And as humanity, we ultimately thrive in God's kingdom. That is where we are truly free to be who God made us to be. Now we'll see this work itself out as we go through the rest of Galatians, but that freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom from condemnation, 
from works and from trying to please others and freedom for Christ, all of that, to be who we're supposed to be, has to be fought for. We don't have to fight to earn our freedom, for Christ has set us free, but we have to fight to live as free people because we come under attack by being told or feeling that true freedom is found outside of the water. True freedom is found on the beach when it's really the place of death. And so it's a fight, a fight to live the freedom that we have in Christ. And so after explaining how we are free, from here to the end of Galatians, Paul really shows us how to live as free people, how to be like a whale in the water, how to live as humanity in the kingdom of God. And the first thing we need to be aware of if we're going to live as free people is that we have to fight. That's the first big point Paul makes in verse 1. There is a call here to fight for freedom. Look at the verse again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So we've been set free from, for freedom, but the freedom comes under attack. Sometimes it comes under attack when we, we doubt the gospel. We doubt whether we are really loved by God. We doubt whether we are really forgiven. Some of you have experienced that. Sometimes our freedom comes under attack when we think that we've got to do something extra to earn God's favor, and so we revert to a law-keeping lifestyle that is all about what we do, which is kind of what the Galatians were being told to do. Or we come under attack by thinking that true freedom is found elsewhere. We end up thinking that, that freedom is found in, in really what we, we, we end up valuing most. So if, if freedom is found in money or in relationships or in sexual identity, we go and pursue those things above everything else. The problem with those things, as we've seen, is that they are slave masters that are a burden that don't deliver what we need. But all of those are the kind of attacks we, we come under. And so we're called to fight. How? By standing firm. Now, the... the, the the, the, the English translation here of stand firm uh, is a good uh, translation in that the, the meaning is a bit like a tug of war. So when you're in a tug of war, you don't just stand up and hold onto the rope like kind of wobbly like this. You, you dig in your heels, don't you? And you stand firm and don't let go of the rope. It's that the tug of war is the illustration, really, that is going on here. You dig your heels into the ground, you grab the rope, and you don't let go. And, and all you need to do is hold firm and pull hard. That's the kind of illustration that's going on here. And we, we, we dig our heels in, Paul says here, by not letting ourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Letting ourselves is when we stop digging in, when we let go of the rope, when we give up the fight. So don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Uh, just a picture there of a yoke. Uh, a yoke is a, a wooden beam that was placed over the neck of animals so that they could pull a cart. They were yoked normally to another animal. You can see in the picture the two, um, uh, whatever they're called things there, and those are what the, the animal's head would go in so that they could pull the cart. 
Now, a yoke was a burden. A yoke could be heavy. And all of us have a yoke. All of us are are pulling something. And in fact, Jesus in Matthew 11 speaks of him giving us a yoke. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Jesus' yoke being easy means that it fits us well, so it doesn't chafe on the neck. And it's light. That means it's not heavy or unable to be carried. In the theme of our passage here, it's the yoke of freedom. So all of us are are carrying a yoke. All of us have some kind of burden that we're pulling along. What Jesus is saying is, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. That's not true of any other yoke. Because Paul's saying that all other yokes are slavery. So Paul says, stand firm and don't let yourself be burdened by a yoke of slavery. And the kind of burden that Jesus wants to give us is rest. Rest from all those other burdens that weigh us down. The kinds of burdens of slavery are what we used to carry. Notice Paul says there, don't be burdened again. You used to have a yoke of slavery. And if you think back, Christian, to the the life that you once lived, do you remember how heavy that yoke was? How much of a burden that was to carry? Don't go back again to those ways of life. So we have here a call to fight for freedom by standing firm, digging in. And then from verse 2 to really verse 15, Paul gives us uh, three ways of standing firm. And each way is a contrast where Paul gives us two options. You either let go, let yourself be burdened, or you stand firm. And so in verses 2 to 6, we see that we have a contrasting message. So to stand firm, we need to compare the message of the gospel with what happens with the yoke of slavery. In verses 7 to 12, Paul gives us contrasting messengers. So what are the messengers of slavery? And what is Paul, a messenger of the gospel, like? And then verses 13 to 15 gives us a contrasting manner of life. So this evening, we're going to really look at standing firm by contrasting uh, the message of the gospel with what happens if we put on the yoke of slavery. And so first of all, what Paul does is he shows us the dire consequences of letting go. The dire consequences of letting go. So the seriousness of what Paul is about to say is shown at the beginning of verse 2. Look what he says. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you. So he's speaking here like he's in a court uh, giving testimony. It's a serious declaration. And it's serious because the consequences of standing down, of of letting go, of of giving in, are dire indeed. So he says, if you let yourself be circumcised. Now, there's nothing wrong in being circumcised in and of itself. Paul was circumcised. Uh, In Acts, we see that he had Timothy circumcised in order to help Timothy with Paul reach the Jewish people. 
The problem for the Galatians was that being circumcised would only be done in order to try and get favor with God, which was a works-based, human achievement-based way of trying to be saved from sin. And so circumcision here can be translated for our day as old ways of life, of slavery, the kind of things we've talked about previously in Galatians. And there are four consequences that Paul gives that build on each other. So first of all, notice in verse 2, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now that's not saying that Christ's sacrifice is of no value. His sacrifice, sacrifice is, is what makes righteousness before God possible. It's enough to save completely those that put their trust in him. Nothing is more valuable, but it is of no value to those who reject it. It's no value to those who think they can pay their own sin debt in some way. It's like if you've got a massive monetary debt and I'm offering you uh, enough money to cover the debt, if you don't take my money, that money that I'm offering you is of no value to you at all, is it? But the cross covers all sin. It pays your sin debt And if we are not trusting in it to pay our sin, then we will be condemned because we can't pay for any of it ourselves. It's just too big. And so if we reject that sacrifice, or we reject it by trying to add to it, then the sacrifice is of no value to us. So turning back from the way of the gospel to another gospel that is no gospel at all, means we don't benefit from Christ's death. It's no value to you. The second consequence found in verse 3 is that if you're going to earn God's favor by keeping the law, well then the law is not a pick and mix where you can just take bits of it and do the bits you want. You have to keep all of it. Earlier in Galatians, Paul quoted Deuteronomy when he said in chapter 3 verse 10, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You know, whilst, whilst painful, circumcision is relatively easy to perform. If that was all it took to be saved, then it would be easy to please God ourselves. But God demands more than circumcision. His standard is perfection, which none of us can meet. And so if we want to do one part of the law and rely on that, then we'd better make sure that we are aware that we have to keep all of it, Paul says, and perfectly. And this consequence means that we will then stand condemned because we won't be right with God because we can't keep the law. And because we can't keep the law, we are cursed. And because we are cursed, we are separated from God. And in verse 4, Paul says then, we are alienated from Christ. We are alienated because of our sin, which separates us from God. But also, because we are separating ourselves from Christ, we're separating ourselves from all that Christ has accomplished for us. You're alienated from Christ if you turn back and you go your own way and you reject him. You think that by being circumcised, you're pleasing God, 
you're actually walking away from him, Paul says. If you turn back to your old ways of slavery, you are alienating yourselves from Christ. And the end result is, fourthly, you have fallen from grace. Notice that in, at the end of verse 4. You have fallen from grace. See how it builds, uh, builds on, on, on each time. Uh, Paul says, the sacrifice of Christ is no value. You've got to keep the whole law. Then he says, you're alienated from Christ and you've fallen from grace. Grace is unmerited, undeserved gift, even though we are failures. If we are trying to merit or deserve salvation, we have not received grace. And if you once claimed to accept it and then turned back, you've fallen from it. Luther describes this as no longer being in the realm of grace. You're no longer living under the grace that God has offered for you. It's not losing your salvation that you once had. It's rather showing that you are not saved. Those who are followers of Jesus, while sometimes falling back, ultimately do stand firm to the end. Paul outlines here the dire consequences of believing another gospel that is no gospel at all. The dire consequences of letting go rather than standing firm. The dire consequences of turning your back on Jesus. And notice how Paul repeats three times the phrase, let yourself, or something close to it. So verse 2, if you let yourself. Verse 3, every man who lets himself. Verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law. In other words, are letting yourself. In a war where freedom is being fought for, the consequences of giving up can be very severe. And in many ways, we can't even know what the consequences are. Um, have, have, have any of you ever read, we don't have to put your hand up or anything, just think about it, but have any, has any of you ever read one of those, or watched one of those stories that try and depict what might have happened if the UK had surrendered to Nazi Germany in 1940. There's lots of stories that are written about what might have been if, as a nation, we had let go. Always in those stories, it's dire, isn't it? There's never a book that, that says, oh, it would have been great. We don't know exactly what would have happened if, the, if, if, if we did let go as a nation. But Paul tells us exactly what will happen. What the consequences really are if we give up the fight for freedom in Christ. Letting go, giving up, standing down, have dire consequences. You are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Now perhaps this evening there are some here who are considering abandoning Jesus and attempting to find freedom a different way. Perhaps there are some here who think they can be accepted by God by being really good and they don't trust in the cross fully for their salvation. Perhaps there are some here who have never ever asked God for the forgiveness of sins. The consequence here for all those who are not committed to Jesus who turned their back on him is very dire 
indeed. How different these words of Paul here are to what he said previously. Let me just share with you an alternative. Paul says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Paul said, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Aren't all these things wonderful? Aren't the consequences of following Jesus the greatest news in the history of the world? Isn't that worth holding on to? Isn't it? But instead of that wonderful gospel, letting go means slavery, means alienation, means judgment, and ultimately means hell. That's if you let go. So we're encouraged to stand firm and to fight by considering the dire consequences of letting go. But to encourage us further, Paul shows us the drastic contrast of standing firm. The drastic contrast of standing firm. We stand firm by living out the freedom we have by faith. And Paul shows us in verses 5 and 6 how we do that. The first contrast is given in verse 5 with the word for. For through the Spirit... We eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. So we stand firm with spirit-given hope. We stand firm with spirit-given hope. If you're fighting in a, in a battle, you can make sacrifices in the fight if you have hope. If you have a hope that there will be a victory at the end. But the word for hope here as is always the case, by the way, in the New Testament, is not some vain hope for a thing. It's not like I'm going to put shorts on today in the hope that it's warm. In my house, that wouldn't be the case. But this is a, a certainty. This is something to look forward to, a hope that is sure and certain because we know this is going to happen. What is this hope? Notice it says, Paul says, the righteousness. The hope is the righteousness. You see, we're made righteous before God by faith in Jesus. Christ has done all that's needed to make us right with God, to free us from condemnation. But we still struggle with sin within us. So while our standing before God cannot be changed, our struggle continues. But we look forward to the day with a certain hope when sin will be no more and we will be like Jesus. So in, in John's first letter, he writes, 
we will see him and we will be like him. And so we eagerly await the day that we will be like Jesus by living for him in the present. If you like, practicing for the day. A little bit like an Olympic athlete practices for their event, for their medal, by sacrificing day by day and living a life of dedication to receiving the medal until they get to the actual event when they can win. The difference being, an Olympic athlete might not win the gold medal, whereas we are absolutely certain that we will win the prize. Because we're not like an athlete competing against one another, and we'll see this more next week. We are running together to win the prize of glory which awaits us. And that is certain to be received if our faith is in Jesus. Now, when you think of an Olympic athlete, they are kind of restricted in their training regime. They have to work hard to, uh, to, to build up and, and to practice for the events that they're taking part in. But we don't look at them and think, what a absolute We don't look at them and think they're not free because they're trying to win a gold medal. They're free in the sense that they're free to sacrifice. They're free to, to not practice and they won't win. But they're aiming to win the prize. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to see the future. And in the light of that future in glory, empowers us to live for Jesus in the present, to freely sacrifice for him in the most extraordinary ways, because we know that it is worth it, because we will win the prize. We can stand firm and fight because of the hope we have, assured by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that glory is coming. The righteousness that we will receive will come. We will be like him. We will be. We've got to stand firm and keep fighting. So first of all, we have hope. But secondly, in verse 6, we see then how we are free to love. We are free to love. Notice in verse 6, Paul refers again to circumcision. It does not count towards your salvation. Nothing you can do will count. Being circumcised or not circumcised makes no difference at all to your standing with God. When you stand before God at the judgment, there is nothing you can bring to him that you can say, this counts. This counts, God. I've done this. Nothing. What does count? Only one thing. Do you notice what it is in verse 6? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's what counts. We stand firm, first of all, in hope, looking forward. But we also then stand firm by having faith in Jesus Christ. And when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we express that faith through love. Now the love here is the fruit of faith. It's not what earns our salvation, but rather it is what comes out of us when we have faith in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. There is a link between the experience of love from God shown to us on the cross and then us expressing love to others in our lives. Uh, John picks up this theme very clearly in, in 1 John 3.16. He says, this is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then the link, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I had a, a lovely moment um, in Sunday school this morning uh, where we did uh, the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And we acted it out as a play. And there was one person who was the king and there was another person who was the servant who owed the king loads of money. And in the parable, the king forgives a huge debt. And the servant went away and met another servant who owed hardly anything. And the lovely moment was, I said to the children, what, what should that servant who's been forgiven that huge debt do to the servant who uh, owes him just a little bit? And the children went, well, of course, he should forgive, forgive him the debt. And then I told them what the unmerciful servant did. The unmerciful servant in the parable in Matthew 18 refused to forgive the debt. Well, these ch- the children, they, the lovely moment was they were outraged. How dare he? That's not fair. And they were absolutely right to be outraged. But so should we if we've received that love from God and don't express love ourselves. It's outrageous, isn't it? And in fact, it really shows that we haven't understood the forgiveness of God. But in terms of our freedom, there is nothing more freeing than loving others. The forces that enslave us, that Paul's talked about, make us turn in on ourselves. They make us self-focused and self-obsessed. Just think about this for a moment. If you, for example, um, have a, are, are enslaved to money, like your life is about how much money and possessions can I get, all that that becomes about is how can I get more? How can I get more? And then you've got the stress of trying to get more all the time. If your life is all about a relationship with another person, even when you want to love them, Your motivation can then be, how can they fulfill me? Or, how can they be happy with me? And again, it becomes all about you. Or if your idol is comfort, your whole life becomes, how can I have an easy life? You see, slavery to those kinds of things make us turn in on ourselves. But a truly free person who is no longer condemned by their sin and shame, who, no longer, who realizes they no longer have to try and please God by doing stuff all the time, and is no longer motivated by having to please others and have their approval, is truly free just to love. Because it doesn't become then about you and fulfilling you. A truly free person is free to love God, which results in loving others. And so faith in Jesus and what he has done expresses itself in love. Now, Jesus is the perfect example of this. So I'm just going to show you um, John chapter 13. No freer person has ever existed than Jesus Christ. John says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus has all power. He literally has no limits whatsoever. Complete freedom, all power. So, 
Now, if this was you, what would the next sentence be? Think about that for a moment. You have all power. You can do whatever you want. You are free to do whatever you want. You've got all power. What would, what would happen next? So, I would, I would dominate the world. I would get as much stuff as I want. I would, I would, I would. Usually, it would be something I, wouldn't it? What does Jesus do? He's all-powerful. He has everything. He's totally free with no restrictions. This is just beautiful, isn't it? So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. A truly free person can love others because that's what Jesus did. And the freedom that he showed here when he washed the disciples' feet was a picture of the the greater love he showed when he died for our sins. He freely gave himself to loving others, to loving you and loving me, so that we could be free to truly love others as well. And brothers and sisters, to love others, to express our faith in love, is a really freeing thing. Um, when I was, we're looking at John's Gospel at Contagious Camp this year, and we were thinking about illustrations of, uh, of, of love and how it's freeing. And one, one person was talking about uh, when you go to the supermarket, and when you go and it's busy, how do you feel when you see all of the queues? It's stressful, isn't it? You want to get to the queue that is as quick as possible. And so you get to the queue, and if you're like me, you always end up in a queue that isn't as quick as the one that you should have got in, and you're all this kind of stuff. And, and one guy took his youth club to a supermarket at the busiest time, and he told them to do one thing. He says, I want you to buy something, and when you get in the queue, what I want you to do is this. Turn to the person behind you and say, you go ahead. Do you know how freeing it is and how less stressful it is when you can say to someone else, you go ahead of me. You go ahead. A truly free person is free to love. And that means we fight for freedom by loving others. And again, we'll see more uh, of that as we go through Galatians. You want to be truly free? Stand firm. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and live for him until the day comes when we will be like him, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So keep fighting. Keep comparing the two messages, the message of Christ with the message of slavery, and let's stand firm in hope and stand firm in love. Well, let's uh, close our time together by standing and singing. We're going to sing of... Uh, the love of Jesus that he has for us, uh, how he showed the true freedom of love by coming and dying for us on the cross. So we're going to sing From Heaven You Came, Helpless Babe, which speaks of how we also ought to love others in response to the love of Christ for us. Let's sing of Jesus together.
as Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so go in peace to love and serve your King. Amen.